Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Photographic Life. Life is an unanswered question, but let's still believe in the dignity and importance of the question. Tennessee Williams, the playwright, said that. Since 1970, I've been using text and ephemera as well as photographs in order to tell stories of one kind or another. There's a thread that runs through all the work that is to do with bearing witness. The photographs are about asking questions, though not answering them. Well, the photographer Jim Goldberg said that. Welcome to an episode of Questions. I don't think on this podcast I ever try and give any answers. I might suggest some things. Um, I might put forward some evidence, maybe some questions to answer questions that have been answered or asked, I should say. But either way, it's very difficult to have any straightforward rights or wrongs within photography. I've spoken over the last couple of episodes about AI, computational photography, the fear that seems to be running through the photographic community. Should we accept this as photography? Well, I think I've made my case pretty clear, but it's open to change, as all things are. I don't think that makes me contradictory. I think it makes me fluid in my thinking. I hope so, anyway. But anyway, a lot of you will have seen that over the last couple of weeks, uh, the photographer Boris L. Dagson um, was given an award uh, by the Sony World Photography Awards for one of his photographs, which he then admitted was AI created. And what I've decided to do this week is to read Boris's Facebook page uh, uh, comment, I suppose, his statement on the fact that he refused to receive that award, because I think it opens up some really interesting questions. Now, where I am with this is very straightforward. I do believe that AI photography, image making, will be uh, a factor of photography going forward, probably mostly within the stock image world. However, I do not believe that it will replace photography, and I do not believe that we need to worry about accepting it into the world of photography. I personally see it as digital image making at the moment, and I have no issues with that at all. And if people want to describe it as photography, well, that's okay as well, as long as it's given the caveat of honesty behind it. Now, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, Grant, that's all very well for you to say, but it instantly brings about the idea of the fake. Well, it does. However, let's deal with where we are today. So I'm going to read to you the statement, the post that Boris made on his Facebook page. It starts like this. Refusal of the prize of the Sony World Photography Awards Open Competition Creative Category at tonight's awards ceremony in London. He goes on to to say this. As Photolari.com reports, my image and name have now been taken off the SWPA webpage, and I hope an official statement will follow. 
He says, thank you for selecting my image and making this a historic moment, as it is the first AI-generated image to win a prestigious international photography competition. How many of you knew or suspected that it was AI-generated? Something about this doesn't feel right, does it? AI images and photography should not compete with each other in an award like this. They are different entities. AI is not photography. Therefore, I will not accept the award. I applied as a cheeky monkey to find out if the competitions are prepared for AI images to enter. They are not. We, the photo world, need an open discussion, a discussion about what we want to consider photography and what not. Is the umbrella of photography large enough to invite AI images to enter, or would this be a mistake? With my refusal of the award, I hope to speed up this debate. Having been a photographer for 30 years before I turned to AI, I understand the pros and cons of this debate and will be happy to join the conversation. If you don't know what to do with the prize, please donate it to the photo festival in Odessa, Ukraine. I will happily provide you the contacts. Many thanks, Boris. I get where Boris is coming from there and I actually think the way he handled it was really good. I'm not sure that the relevant question is whether or not photography is in a position to accept AI. I personally see AI as something else within it. I think what is interesting for me is looking at the image that Boris uh, submitted, I would actually argue that AI has been welcomed in by the overuse of post-production techniques. The image to me looks fake. Whether or not it was AI generated or not, I think is to, to sort of a separate discussion point in a way. It looked way over post-produced. The post-production made the figures in it look fake, whether or not they were AI generated or that they were post-produced generated. The hands are something that people have brought up and they said, well, you know, AI, you can always tell by the hands. For me, I could tell by the whole thing. Now, it was in a category, category, I should say, called creative. So maybe there is an understanding or a belief that creation, creativity, can only come through post-production. And the more post-production there is, the more creative it is. I mean, it's something I absolutely cannot stand by that as, as, a, as a thought process. For me, the purity of photography is in the purity of the capture. And it doesn't matter as to whether or not it's AI or post-production fakery. They're both very similar to each other. And perhaps that's where we should really be starting this conversation. Let's turn from the world of fakery to the world of make-believe. Perhaps that's another area of fakery. Who knows? Well, anyway, the reason I'm saying that is this week, joining us on the podcast to explain what photography means to him in under five minutes or close to, is a British photographer, John Haynes, who started taking photographs in 1963 after seeing uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson's book, The Europeans. 
After working for two years with the Sunday Times, he decided to specialise in theatre photography. There you go, you see. There's the make-believe for you. You can see what I did there. Anyway, he was the in-house photographer for the Royal Court Theatre and the Hampstead Theatre and Michael Codron Limited from 1970 to 1994. And between 1970 and 2006, he's photographed over 200 productions for the National Theatre in London. His most well-known images are taken during this time uh, were of the late great playwright Samuel Beckett. Beckett hated having his photo taken. He would not even let newspapers take his photograph. So images of him are very rare. There's also another great one by Jane Bowne, uh, just as a, a side thought there. In 1986, Thames and Hudson published a book of Haynes's theatre work called Taking the Stage, 21 Years of the London Theatre, which was accompanied by an exhibition of his work at the National Theatre, which later moved to the Colnagi Gallery in New York and then on to the Moscow Arts Theatre. In 2003, Cambridge University Press published Haynes's next book, Images of Beckett, with text by Samuel Beckett's biographer, James Nolson. What does photography mean to me? Well, photography found me. I was 22 and had recently finished my RF National Service in Singapore and was working operating the lighting switchboard at the Royal Court Theatre of London. It was 1961. I had no idea where my career lay ahead until then I was shown Henri Cartier-Bresson's book, Les Europeans. Here I saw photography like I had never seen before. Reportage photography of people caught up in their lives, but also fitted into backgrounds of perfect composition. There were landscapes, some with people in, but all had this uncanny geometry. It was then I knew what I wanted to do. I told my father that I wanted to take photographs and he very kindly bought me a second-hand Leica M2 out of his savings. I then spent many days wandering around London trying to take similar photographs, but I knew nothing of the technical aspects and I bought the book Manual of Advanced Photography by Andreas Feininger, who was a life photographer, which also dealt with the thinking before taking a photograph. This was my training. A friend... Keith Johnson, who was the new director of the Access Studio at the Royal Court Theatre, invited me to come and take some pictures of the Access classes, working with Mask. It was my very first introduction to theatre photography. And then I started to work for small fringe theatres, doing their front-of-house pictures. This was interrupted by an introduction to the Sunday Times picture desk, just at a time when the picture editor changed. The new editor, Steve Brody, who had been their leading news photographer, started to use me. His experience and mentoring was important. I found myself in various challenging situations, having to come back with pictures deserving of publication. An exciting challenge, and I gained massive experience. In 1970, I decided to specialise in theatre photography and found myself back at the Royal Court at a moment of unimagined opportunity. Luck and chance came my way and changed the course of my career and life. Lindsay Anderson, who was the director of the play Home by David Story, had not liked his rehearsal pictures and wanted another photographer and invited me to do the production pictures. I started then to do all their productions and became the in-house photographer, which lasted 24 inspiring years. 
1973, I was asked to take portraits of Samuel Beckett there, and he and his plays have become central to my archive. I've worked as well in almost every London theatre and at Stratford too. So what does photography mean to me? It means a creative life and a career with a camera, using the same thoughts about catching moments and composition I had in the 60s. Here is my, one of my favourite Cartier-Bresson quotes about what the photography meant to him. This recognition in real life of a rhythm of surfaces, lines and values is to me the essence of photography. Composition should be a constant preoccupation. He also said, to my amusement, photography is the only discipline that catches the moment in flight. I like that. Then I continue to take pictures of myself, as well as my family and of my dogs, and I'm coming to terms with even enjoying playing with Photoshop. How very pleased I was to get out of my darkroom. Thank you very much, John, for your contribution this week. A, a wonderfully theatrical echo seems slightly appropriate um, for, uh, I suppose, fitting with his work. It did, did sound as if he'd recorded it in a theatre. Um, I hope you enjoyed that also. I think picking up some really interesting points there, John, as well, particularly around the point of mentors. And I think that's particularly relevant at this time of the year, as a lot of people who are studying photography come to the end of their uh, education and the way in which they show that is with a degree show. It's interesting the degree show because I sometimes wonder who it's for. Is it for the student? Well obviously it is but a lot of degree shows are also marked so they're also for the lecturer. I think they should also be for an audience. They should be for a wider audience, a broader audience, potential employees for example. Over COVID, the degree show, I think, suffered badly. A lot of people tried to move their degree shows online, and I didn't see one that I felt was particularly successful, I have to be honest. A lot of courses tried to put together websites to show their students' work, and I'm aware that that has continued despite the fact we've come out of COVID and we've gone back to a, a slightly more normal world when it comes to exhibitions and seeing work and festivals and so forth. I think what's interesting about the degree show is what is the expectation of the viewer? If you go to see degree shows, what are you expecting to see? Are you hoping to buy some work, perhaps? Spot the next greatest talent? Look for themes? Look for uh, inspiration for your own work? I don't know. I have to say I've been to quite a few over the years. And what I always find is a homogenization of photographic work being created that can sometimes come from very similar uh, teaching processes where the same work is being shown to students year after year. Quite often the same work that the people lecturing were shown themselves. Maybe this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning there about that idea of having a fluidity of mind, being open to new things and new ways of seeing. I would really love to see degree shows going forwards dealing with issues of AI. 
I think that would be interesting. I'm really interested in photographers using the medium as a language, not purely to become a photographer, but to become a visual communicator, a visual storyteller. As I said, this episode is full of questions. I'm not going to give you any answers to this, although I have my own opinions. What I'd like to do is hear yours. I'm also, I suppose, forced to comment that it was interesting to hear John say that he was so happy to get out of his darkroom. As somebody who believes that photography today should and could be, and perhaps would be, uh, taught with more efficiency in a purely digital world, maybe controversial to some of you, but I've yet to have a discussion with somebody who's really been able to put forward a strong case for teaching darkroom and analogue to all students. Um, So interesting to hear somebody who spent their career in the darkroom happy to get away from it. I'd like to say thank you at this point to all of you who've got back to me about the recent special uh, conversations, extended length uh, episode podcast that we've been putting out. Um, That with Matt Black, with Craig Aikinson, and obviously the monthly conversation, the ongoing conversation that I have uh, with uh, Bill Shapiro. I know a lot of you really enjoy those conversations, but the ongoing conversation. Um, if you haven't already listened to the previous part of that, dealing with the personal project, next week is kind of a part two of that personal project conversation. Although, as I say, it's a conversation that keeps running. So you, it could even benefit you, perhaps, to go right back to the beginning of them uh, because there are themes that develop and we sort of kind of cross-reference what we've discussed before. So you may find that useful. You might find it interesting. And I really hope, I don't know we both do, that you'll find it um, inspirational. So a lot more of those kinds of uh, sort of expanded uh, episodes of the A Photographic Life podcast coming up over the uh, coming months, really. Uh, A few of them already booked in, one in particular dealing with two uh, American experts around the photo book. And I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation there. So lots of different stuff coming up over the coming weeks and the coming months. Constantly trying to keep this thing fresh uh, for you and for me. Um, But of course, one of the things I always encourage you to do every week, uh, and a number of you have been uh, getting back to me and suggesting I do the same thing. You know what that is. It's just to take care. <laughs>